0: And if you want to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy, we are systematically making our way through this book. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. So I'm sure at many times in your life, probably starting when you're really young, you heard the importance of getting good nourishment, right? I mean, it gets started really early on. Like, your parents are there and like, hey, listen, make sure you eat like your vegetables or your meat, you know, you know, Right? Because if you want to grow up big and strong, you've got to have good nourishment. You've heard this lots of times, and and there'd be, like, consequences if you didn't do it, right? Like, listen, you won't be leaving the table until you finish this, right? You know, it's like some of us thought we might spend the rest of our lives there. You never know, right? But it was reinforced really early on how important nourishment is. In fact, some of us have taken to us a whole other extreme. Uh, We live to eat, right? And then, of course, maybe on our better days, we're like, well, actually, uh, no, I eat to live. But all of us know this motto— you are what you eat, right? And you know there's a lot of truth to that. You are what you eat. Physically, but especially spiritually. Now, we understand that physical food is really it's necessary for fuel for our body. In fact, healthy eating has so many benefits. I mean, not only does it give you energy you need for everything you need but for the day, but it gives you opportunity for growth, for your bodies to repair, to be strong. I mean, we're talking healthy eating, not just eating in general, but healthy eating. I mean, it's actually beneficial in addressing things like heart disease, different types of cancer, uh, situations that you might be facing like uh, like stroke or type 2 diabetes, I want you to know healthy eating really comes into play. And we understand that because if we're going to live physically well, we're going to have to have good physical food. But the same is true spiritually. You see, it is essential for our spiritual lives that we have spiritual food. Our souls need nourishment. And Jesus said this in Matthew 4.4, 4, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Obviously, we need physical nourishment. What's not so obvious to many people is that we need spiritual nourishment. And that's going to come from one place, from God and His Word. And here's the situation. You see, the Word of God is to shape our way of life. But how is it, That we integrate God's truth into our lives. I mean, what does that really look like? I think all of us would desperately like to know the answer to that question because we don't want to be spiritually malnourished. We want strength. We want the ability to be strong, to overcome errors, to not buy in to falsehood. But that is only going to be one reality if we're going to end up mature in Christ and expressing the likeness and the loveliness of Jesus. We're going to need a diet a regular diet of spiritual food of the scriptures. So how is it that we integrate God's word into our lives? That's why 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19, that is why this is such a critically important text. It answers the question. It tells us exactly what we need to do. And the first thing is that we need to remain faithful to remind believers of the truth and refrain from quarrels. Take a look, verse 14. He says, Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. So, notice first of all, he says, Remind them of these things. Call to mind these things. Well, what things? Well, what he's already been talking about in 2 Timothy. Like the fact that we are to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Remember 2-1? Two, two, that we're to be involved in God's kingdom work of making disciples. Remember in verse 2, we saw this is how Paul gave himself and what he did. In verses 3-7, through seven, you see the importance of living with the priorities, kingdom priorities, in your life. Or like we saw last week, beginning in verse 8, to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember that? You see, if you and I are going to integrate God's word into our lives, we're going to have to start to get comfortable topi- talking about biblical truth. We need to take time to talk with more than just all the regular mundane every, you know, everyday sort of situations, more than just what's going on at work, there's got to be times where we're talking about what we're learning about God from his word, about scripture, to remind each other. In fact, you will find in the ministry, reminding people is a regular part of the ministry. You're not just like, well, I just got to come up with something new all the time. No, no, no. We go back to what the word has said, and we keep talking with one another about it. But that requires that we are intentional. In our conversations, in our texts, in our cards, we're actually Doing what the text says, we're reminding each other of the truths of Scripture. But notice what else he said in verse 14, that he says, I solemnly charge you. Do you see this? Like, It's a loaded charge. In the presence of God. Here's something always helpful to remember, that you and I live our lives in and before the presence of God. Everything that you and I do, last night, this morning, last week, In the presence of God, and he says, I solemnly charge you, recognizing God's supreme overseeing leadership and lordship of life. Do not, he says, do not wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. This is wrangling or disputes about words. You see, that's what false teachers do. They want to get people dialoguing on new interpretations to moving away from the clear teaching of the scriptures. To take words and to all of a sudden like, well, there's another take, or we could redefine it this way. And you know what? We could come to some new conclusions. Paul is saying, this isn't just, well, that's just kind of another take on scripture. He's saying, you want to be real careful in the presence of God not to wrangle about these words, to be driven by agendas that fit into what human reason or what the culture might want to say or to have inaccurate teachings of Scripture where pretty soon you come to completely different conclusions, he says, you want to steer far away from that. It leads to the ruin of the hearers. You see, twisting biblical truth to fit personal agendas redefining words, redefining scripture, I want you to know that that has a disastrous effect. In fact, the word ruin there, do you see that? It it comes from the Greek word katastropho. It's where we get our word catastrophe from. That's what happens when you twist God's word to your own agenda. And you're like, well, does that even happen? Uh, Yeah, it happened 2,000 years ago and has continued to this very day. So some of the ways that we're seeing that manifested now is like redefining what sexual morality is. Well, we all have new takes now. Redefining marriage. Redefining what it actually means to be male and female. Who cares about science and biology and the absolute clarity of Scripture? We're going to redefine it. We will think of ourselves however we want. Um, Redefining what an elder is in a church or the lordship of Jesus. And whether that's even necessary or not, I want you to know this kind of wrangling about words, that leads to a ruin. It gets people going in the wrong direction. And I want you to know that divisive people are often destructive. It only takes a few individuals in any church to start working their agenda to create a widespread wreckage. And that's why he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God Not to wrangle about words; it is useless, and it leads to the ruin of the hearers. And so, one of the things that we need to do before we talk is to think. Alan Redpath gave just this great little acronym, just to just to think about before you talk about certain things, especially if you're looking to be quarrelsome or you've got your own agenda or your one little pet project that you want to keep working over, uh, working people over with. He says, think, and it's an acronym. T is for, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? If it doesn't work on that grid, then you know what? might want to hold off. But friends, if you and I want to integrate God's word into our lives... If that's If we want to be a people of the book that knows the book and, uh, and actually applies and lives in the word, well, we're going to have to remain faithful to remind believers of the truth and refrain from quarrels. Isn't that what your soul needs? Like, I love it when people remind me of biblical truth. It gets my eyes, stop focused on me, my circumstances, back on God, back on Christ, his possibilities, the spirit of God working. It's what we need. But there's a second And we find it in verse 15, and that is, we need to train to know and apply the word of truth. So then he says, verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Be diligent. The idea is that you are zealous, you're persistent, you give yourself to this. He says, be diligent. To present yourself approved to God, that you are authentic, that it is, you have been developed by God. You see the God-centeredness in all of this? To be approved by God as a workman. Someone who is skilled in using tools, like craftsmen, uh, people in various trades. I mean, it's pretty cool when you're around folks that are really good with tools, they have skill. In fact, it's almost as if the tool itself is an extension of their arm. And and they can do pretty amazing work. Things that are constructive, uh, oftentimes things that are like aesthetically pleasing, even craftsmen that can build things that are absolutely beautiful. And you see, the reason that they're so good is because they, they know their trade so well. They understand how the tools work, and they have the tools, and they use the tools correctly. So a guy like me, I'm not super helpful in some of these areas. Lots of room for growth. And you need to know that, like, when it comes to tools, there's more than just a hammer, right? Okay? Hammer's good, but you need different tools for different uh, parts of the project. And so you and I, we get that. Like, if you hired uh, someone, uh, like, in a trade to address a situation at your house, and they show up and they've got just a few tools and they're all still on the package, you know, and you're like, oh no, okay, wait a second here. Maybe they wore out their tools, I don't know. But then they're like looking it up on the phone to see like, how do you actually use those tools? You'd be a little nervous, right? You probably wouldn't want to turn them loose on anything way too important to you, right? Because they don't really know what they're doing. Part of the reason we marvel about skilled workmen is because they are skilled and they get a lot of work done really well. Well, that same truth is to have a parallel in our lives. When it comes to the word of God, God wants us to know his book, to have skill, to be able to take the word of God and to accurately handle it. In fact, do you see what the text says? You see that? We don't want to be ashamed. We want to accurately handle the word of truth. Uh, that word literally accurately means to cut straight. It was used of like farmers who were plowing a straight furrow. Or someone who was sawing a board and made a straight cut, which is harder to do than you might think. You know, I've got a lot of examples how that didn't work out quite so well, right? Or like if you're sewing and you make a very straight seam, and this is, by the way, before like sewing machines, right? It's just like, you've got that kind of skill. It's to cut straight. And it really has the idea that you are teaching faithfully and applying practically how to live out Scripture. It's not that you just know about the Bible, or you know biblical truth, that you're intellectually satisfied, or you can answer some questions, but that you've actually integrated God's Word into your life. It's reflected in how you live, how you talk, your priorities, your values, how you go about your your day and your life. You're developing an in-depth understanding of God's Word and how it applies. You see, the Word of God is to shape our way of life. I remember my very first discipler, Doug Gardner, the guy who was very instrumental in me coming to Christ and to start initially growing. I remember something he told me back in college. He said, reading the Bible, it's like manna for the day. You know, like what you need, God gives. But you know, the next day then, well, you need more manna. And you might actually forget about some of the things that you learned a previous week or a previous month. I mean, that's Okay. It's very much like nourishment. Do you remember what you ate last week or last month? No, but it was probably a really good deal that you did eat, right? Because that's just what daily nourishment looks like. You're not required necessarily to remember everything, although a guy like me, I have recollection of a lot of fond meals, right? Because I really like food, which is part of the problem. But I want you to know that's also true spiritually. you are going to remember a lot. But what's important is that we have daily nourishment for our souls, The goal is that we come to truly know Christ, to be fully mature in him in every respect, to walk in his ways, to reflect the loveliness and the likeness of Jesus. That's going to require some just daily strength, his word, his spirit. And the fruit of the study of God's word becomes food for our spiritual lives. So the question is, well then, how do you do this? How do you take a verse 15, and how do you become a workman that just doesn't need to be ashamed, Well, I want you to just have Bible study basics. And this is not original with me, but this is tried and true. It's been tested time and time again. It really just comes down to this. Observation of the biblical text, interpretation, application. If you and I are going to move beyond being just superficial, familiar, but never dive really too deep. Like, we're inch deep. We know some things, and we've heard that, but not really in-depth understanding. Uh, the only way we'll ever become mature and grow deep is we if we learn how to dive in and develop some of these simple skills. But I want you to know, uh, there's things that are going on right now in our society, and most likely in your life, that are going to make that extremely difficult. And I'm I'm talking about kind of what's taking place with the Internet and how the Internet and social media is now shaping the minds, literally now, of people. The Shallows, it's a book, The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains, written by Nicholas Carr. He is an expert on how technology is shaping our minds and our lives. He's lamented how the Internet is in his words, and I want you to listen to just a few excerpts from this book. He is lamenting how the internet, in his words, is chipping away at his capacity and contemplation. My mind expects to take in information the way the net distributes it in a swiftly moving stream of particles. our rep and he goes on to say our rapid fire toggling between spectacles works against wisdom in the moment by eliminating any time for reflection or synthesis before the next thing beckons. But it also works against wisdom in the long term. As brain research is showing, overstimulated brains are becoming weaker, less critical, and more gullible at a time in history when we need them to be sharper than ever. And so just think about, like, your life. How much is this is like, you click on news or whatever, or you just start looking at your social media, and you just start like scrolling through it like super fast. It's like, oh, uh, and you read a sentence here and there, that's all I need to know. I mean, there was a time where we would, use, we would have like debates that would last like two or three hours, where we could have complex discussion. But that's some more, not too much. Like, tell me what I need to know in like 30 seconds. Maybe a minute after that, you can't handle that. And so our lives become reflective of this just kind of scrolling through mentality. And, and it shows up everywhere. And what you need to know, and you probably haven't thought about and I hadn't thought too much about it until I started reading this, it's actually going to affect you personally how you think. He goes on to say, Carr gives this really arresting image. I can't forget it ever since I've read it. He says this, once I was a scuba diver in the sea of words. Now I zip along the surface like on a jet ski, right? Never go deep. You're just flying by it. And friends, that's what's happening. And so this text is calling us to be contemplative, to go deeper, to understand the Bible, to have our minds that God has given us and to engage them. And so what, how do you do that? Christ is calling us to spiritual death, depth. How do we do that? Well, let me tell you. First of all, it starts with observation. Observation is just you come to the text like a detective. What you're doing is you're, you're looking at the passage So as you're, like, reading, and you're going to, like, I'm going to, like, take a look here. What is this text saying? You want to be, like, more in-depth, inquisitive. You want to, like, ask, like, why did God put this in here? What are the words that he used? What do I see this passage that tells me about God, about life, sin, or my eternity, hope, forgiveness, love, trials, faith, hope? One of the best ways, if you've never done this, I just want to throw this challenge out there, to observe Scripture, is to actually write it out. Just try this. You're like, really? Would that help? I can guarantee you that if you will write out, like just even a verse of Scripture, you will see things that you hadn't seen before. Why? Because it forces your mind to slow down. And all of a sudden, you're like seeing connections. That's that's called observation. But then it moves past observation so to interpretation. And So when it comes to interpretation, what we're after is authorial intent. What did God intend for the original recipients to understand? That is absolutely important. We want to understand what did God intend through the human authors that he used in writing the scripture? What were they supposed to understand? That means there are two errors that we are to avoid. And these two errors that I'm going to give you, I want you to know they are very prevalent in the church today. One error is this. Creating foreign meanings of Bible passages. Okay? So, new meanings. We've got new scholarship, new understanding, right? The second error is this assuming that the Bible changes meaning over time. Oh, yeah, I know back, way back then, in the ancient days, that's what that said. And maybe it even meant that, but oh, it doesn't mean that today. Uh uh-uh. uh. Why the Bible? Why? Well, that's a living document, and it changes and we can pretty much fashion it any way that we want. What's important is is what God has said, authorial intent. What's not so important is what the Bible means to me. Like, well, this verse means to me. And then you go on, and you're like, okay, that either may or may not be what this text is saying. But we've moved to such a personalized approach to Scripture, like, well, what this verse means or this passage means to me. And you are like, okay, whatever. Even if it's completely false, Friends, that's not what God intended from his word. We're to understand what he's written. We're to discern. It's going to require some skills to be able to do that. And I want to make sure, because I love you, that you have the skills to understand the truth of God's word. It comes under the category of hermeneutics. Now you're like, oh my, that's... (laughs) Whoa, what does that even mean? What, what an odd word, hermeneutics. Well, let me just give you a simple definition. It simply is this. It's the study of the principles and methods of interpreting the Bible to understand the intended meaning of the text. And actually, if you're like, why, why would they call it like hermeneutics? So let me give you the etymology. It's because it's pretty fascinating. Do you, let me take you back to junior high. I know some of you don't want to go back there, but let's, going back. You remember when you studied Greek mythology? Remember that? And do you remember there was a Greek god by the name of Hermes? Do you remember that guy? What was he? Why, yeah, in the mythology, and it's myth, right? The little G-O-D, right? He, he was the messenger god. And he would bring the messages, interpret the messages of the gods, primarily for his father Zeus. And so Hermes, hermeneuo, okay, that is the Greek word, the verb. Well, that's where we get hermeneutics from. And so this is how they would use the word. It was used of, to understand language, either explanation or, if it needed to be, translation. And that's what, how they used it. And so that's where we get hermeneutics. And so we will understand. It's the simply understanding the principles and methods of interpreting the Bible to understand the intended meaning of the text. And so what I want to do is I want to just give you the very basic, Six hermeneutical principles to correctly interpreting the Bible. Okay, and that requires that we turn the lights on. Okay, so you know that it's not a great idea to read in the dark. Why? Well, you can't see the print. It's also not a great idea to just approach the Bible without turning the lights on. So you, you get it? Okay. You want? I want to give you this. This acronym lights gives you the six basic principles just to how to interpret the Bible. This isn't meant to be exhaustive. But it is meant to give you the basic principles of just how to interpret Scripture. So you come to authorial intent, what God intended. Know this: you can't make up whatever you want uh, when it comes to the Bible. Authority rests with God and His revealed Word. In fact, we know that Second Peter chapter uh, one verses twenty and twenty-one says this. But know this first of all: that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made as an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This is God's word, men moved by the Holy Spirit, and there is one interpretation. You're not free to assign value. You are the, not the ultimate arbitrator of truth. God is. So you want to turn the lights on, and what I want to present to you with lights, that acronym, this is what it's referred to as the literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of Scripture. And it's very simple. This isn't, by the way, a checklist. Like, oh, okay, are you telling me, like, every time I read the Bible, I got to check, check, check? No, this is just the mindset. This is just how you go about it. This is how you get to the right conclusion. So L stands for look for the natural, normal meaning. Hmm, that makes sense. You take the most obvious meaning. In the exact same way that you would read a newspaper, history book, whatever, you take it in its natural, normal meaning. If you see a figure of speech, you're like, oh, I recognize a figure of speech is being used there. And so the first thing you do is you just, when you read the Bible, take it in its natural, normal meaning. Look for it. Second, I, is identify the meaning in context. Okay? You can pretty much make the Bible say whatever you want. But that's only possible if you take things out of context. So always look, what are the words, what are the sentences before and after? That's what governs meaning. How does it fit in the paragraph, in the book of the Bible, or in the Bible itself? Identify the meaning and context. G is gain an understanding of the original words and flow of thought. So, I mean, like with modern technology, you can take any word that you find in your, in your Bible, and you can look it up on some great Bible apps and instantly find the original Greek word or Hebrew word, and it'll give you a definition. You're like, oh, wow, and it's super insightful, and you gain a lot of understanding as you're trying to figure out what exactly is being said here. Um, T-H, excuse me, is historical context, and historical context gives insight into meaning. So you know that... Uh, Our culture today is quite a bit different than the different Bible times, right? And so if you want to understand their culture, geographical settings, all of this helps inform understanding. So we take that into account. And then T is take into account literary styles. There are four primary literary styles found in the Bible. And so what you do is by understanding that there are different literary styles and different ways of emphasizing uh, truth or how to present it, well, you take that into account, and that's going to help you interpret things correctly. And then finally, S is Scripture interprets Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. These six principles, if this becomes your mindset, guess what? You're going to be coming to the accurate understanding of Scripture. And as a church, we, this is what we're giving ourselves to this week. We want every single person in our church to know how to study the Bible. Observation, interpretation, I just I just listed them uh, in our life-giving discipleship books. We're going to dive in deeper so we understand what this really looks like, all six of those principles. But I want you to know that the crowning aspect of Bible study is application. It's the crowning step. So there's observation, we're observing the passage, the text, interpretation, we're applying the right mindset of how do you actually interpret this passage but we're looking for application specifically for God to apply his word to our lives so that the work of God is accomplished through the word of God and the spirit of God accomplishing these uh, developing these truths in our lives that's what we're asking God for We're asking God to help us become self-feeders of the Word because our spiritual diet is directly affected by our spiritual intake of God's Word. And so we're asking, like, how does this passage point me to the work of Christ? How does this point me to God's wisdom, forgiveness, perspective, healing, strength, grace? How is it that Jesus must develop these things? And what we're thinking about is next steps. We're talking about, Application. So just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, here's just kind of some major categories. As you're like reading a text, you're getting manna for the day, you're observing, you're interpreting, and like, God, how would this apply to my personal life? Just me personally, where I'm at, what I'm working through, my relationship with you, Lord, how I see life, the issues and the challenges that I'm facing. Um, another category is just kind of like, how, does, how would this text be helpful, God, with my family, how I treat them, respond to them, what I need to do with this situation. Um, Then look at, like, well, how would this text be beneficial in my work life, my job, or if you're a student, in my school, your situation? And then finally, just in your ministry. Your investment as a kingdom citizen, what is your ministry in this church, in our community, representing Christ? God, how would this apply to how I function as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven in your strength. And I want you to know that God will give you some clarity. And it's like, so often, I find like, it's just exactly what I'm reading, that's exactly what I needed for today, to set my sights on God. And find, I often find that something I read in my own personal time, devotional time, why well, I, I find an opportunity to share it, whether it was just with a friend, someone I meet, uh, in a counseling situation, it's just how it works. God feeds our souls with his truth. But the Bible was not just given for our information, although God wants us to be informed. It's given for our transformation. He doesn't want us just smarter sinners. What Jesus is seeking to do, he wants us to be like him, to demonstrate his likeness and his love. And the only way, friends, it's ever going to be possible is if we learn how to integrate God's truth into our life, So we want to train to know and apply the word of truth. But there's something else that you absolutely can't miss, and that's in verses 16 through 19. If we want to develop a healthy lifestyle of, of just integrating the truth of Scripture, we need to abstain from the errors of this world. Look what he says, verse 16. But he says, "...but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness." If the church is to thrive, if you and I are to thrive in our spiritual lives, we have got to refuse the worldly philosophies of explaining life, spirituality, apart from God and his word. And it's prevalent, and he calls it worldly, an empty chatter. It's irrelevant, it's idle, it's like foolish talk. And he says, verse 17, uh, he's very serious about this because this sort of uh, talking about "Quote unquote spiritual truths apart from the Scriptures, worldly wisdom—it's dangerous. How dangerous? Verse seventeen, and their talk will spread like gangrene among them. And now he names to you guys, Hymenius and Philetus. This word, gangrene—you see that it was—it was the word that also referred to like cancer." Gangrene is when body tissue dies because of obstructed circulation. And when that takes place, that's a very dangerous condition. If it is not addressed quickly and well, you might lose your arm or your leg. Not a big deal if you don't care about those things, or you might even lose your life. It's serious. And we understand gangrene like, whoa, whoa. man, doctors are like, we have got to address this right away. I want you to know that is exactly what he's driving here when it comes to error. False teaching, worldly wisdom, empty chatter. Uh, What happens is it distorts the faith, or worse, you're going to come up with a whole different religion. You might call it Christianity, and it is infectious, and it's like a disease and it needs to be cut out. And he names two guys. How would you like to have been those guys? Hymenaeus and Philetus, right? No one names their kids that. And this is why. Okay? These guys, they didn't have like another take on Christianity. Oh, they identified with the church? No, they were destructive. And Paul calls them out. And you're like, whoa. Well, like what, what possibly could they have said or done that would have received like such strong language? Look at verse 18. They are men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. So here, what we see here is they have taken their Greek philosophy, and they're like, hmm, we like a lot about Christianity. There's some really good things here. This will really help people's lives. But as Greeks... This whole idea of a physical bodily resurrection, mm -mm -mm, that does not work well. You see, the Greeks thought that matter was evil, okay? So matter is evil, the spirit is good. So this idea like Jesus rising from the dead, that's not going to work. But Jesus just rising, a spiritual resurrection, oh yeah, that fits in very well with our culture. That makes that makes Christianity so much more accommodating to the Greek culture. People are going to buy into that. They're going to really like Jesus if it's just a spiritual resurrection. But Jesus also is talking about a physical resurrection of his people, those who trust in him, like they'll live forever with him. In fact, this whole idea that they'll receive bodies like his fit for eternity. In Greek thought, that would be like absolutely not. That would be repulsive because physical matter, Bodies, evil. Spirit, good. So what these guys did, they're like, listen, resurrection, all really good. It was a spiritual resurrection. And that spiritual resurrection, if you, as you just believe in Jesus, that's all the resurrection you need. In fact, that's all the resurrection there is. And I want you to know that is a fundamental error. They, were, they said, hey, the resurrection's already passed you need to know this Christianity without a resurrection. That is not a living faith. Paul went on to say in first Corinthians 15, 17, that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. There must be a bodily resurrection. It authenticates and shows the world that indeed this is the one true living God. And there is a bodily resurrection for those who believe in him You and I are going to spend eternity either apart from him or with him, but it will be in a body fit for eternity. That is at the heart of the gospel. And so what these guys were doing, like, whoa, that's not working. Uh -uh." So we got to change it. But I want you to know this kind of thinking, like, will we modify Christianity to fit the culture? That's nothing new. That's been around for a long time. And it's exactly what we're experiencing today. Uh, What's happened is we're all about Accommodating. Another word for it is syncretism. It is mixing truth with air. It compromises God's truth to make it more palatable to a culture that is actually opposed to God as He defines Himself and His Word. And there are many Protestant denominations once held strongly to the Bible, Uh, they believed in all the cardinal truths, but now, not so much. Now there's a new authority in town, namely us, our own minds, and we'll decide what we'll take, pick, and choose, and modify at will. And so basics of the Christian faith, anything from from the Trinity, inerrancy, deity of Christ, the clear teaching of Scripture, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection, the second coming of Jesus, a lot of that is either completely ignored or just even rejected. And what happens when you reject God's truth? and you start embracing what God calls sin or evil, you got exactly what was going on, and Paul is addressing to Timothy. And this isn't, well, it's just another take, and we're, it's just a big, huge umbrella, and we're all under Christianity. Paul says, mm-mm, gangrene, cancer, disease, it'll upset, it'll cause significant problems. And this is, this is what we're facing today. The wholesale embracing of universalism, hedonism, self-salvation, fornication and adultery, homosexuality, abortion, a host of other sins, where you're like, literally like, hey, it's not sexual sin. It's just a different lifestyle. And you, of course, can be a a practicing faithful Christian and live in sexual misconduct. We won't even call it that. In fact, we will come to the exact opposite conclusion of what the Bible says, and we're going to do it in Jesus' name. Friends, that is a disaster. That is a catastrophe. That's what he's writing about here. It's devastating and it's damning. It's it's literally corrupting minds, hearts, and keeping them completely enslaved to their sin. But they're told it's fine. And if you're wondering, like, man, it just seems like it's hopeless, Uh uh-uh, but God, take a look at verse 19. Nevertheless, The firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. God's in control. Look at this verse 19. You see both God's sovereignty and human responsibility. He says the firm foundation God stands having this seal on buildings on the cornerstone. They would put a seal and that seal would tell you what this building is for. Like we have one. We have a dedicatory stone. When you walk through that South foyer, take a look at it. Here it is. We are dedicated to the glory of God. What are we all about? We're about the glory of God. It's right here on that stone. And God says this. We have the firm foundation of God's seal on us. The Lord knows those who are his, speaking of his sovereignty. He personally knows. He's in charge. And you see human responsibility that we're to turn from evil behavior and worldly teaching. Everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Why? Because this is what holiness looks like. This is what it looks like to integrate God's truth into your life. When you see malnourished people, I want you to know, man, it's it's hard to look at physically and even spiritually. But God wants us healthy, vibrant, integrating his truth into our lives because the word of God is to shape our way of life. And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to hear from a a longtime member, uh, Camille Beckham. And I invite you, Camille, to come and join us. And just to hear how God is using her in her ministry and how this even relates to what we're talking about today. So many of you will recognize Camille. Uh, She spent many years with us. And so, Camille, we're so glad you moved to Florida. Karen and I are still very sad about that. But we would like to just kind of hear from you. Tell us a little bit, for those of us, you might be new, just a little bit about yourself and what you're doing.
1: Sure. Well, it's great to be back at Fellowship. Um, I, When I was in college, I felt God's call on my life into foreign mission work with deaf people. So I have spent the last 30 years working for Door International, a deaf majority mission organization. For 10 of those years, I lived overseas, and for 13 of those years, I lived in Waco. Fellowship was my home church, and I'm actually still a member, as Grant mentioned. Um, So last year I moved to Orlando, Florida. I still travel extensively for my job, and so if you really ask me where I feel the most at home, I might just say in a plane. (laughs) Okay. Okay.
0: I've never felt totally at home on a plane. Okay. Can you, uh, you've mentioned Door International, but tell us more about that and and what's going on with Door International, especially with the, the deaf people of this world.
1: So throughout the world, there are a total of 70 million deaf people, and less than 2% of them know Christ. Uh, the reason is, has to do with language. Uh, their first language is a sign language. They're not fluent in the written language of their country for the most part. Their first language, their heart language, is a sign language. And so that leads to an issue, a preliminary step to Bible interpretation and understanding it well, which is scripture access. Uh, deaf people don't have access to the Bible in their, in their heart language. There are 350 to 400 sign languages in the world. Only one has a full Bible, and only a handful have more than that. So DOOR is all about Bible translation into sign languages in video format and deaf church planting, in which our church planters do model and teach uh, observation, interpretation, and application. Mm.
0: So, Curt and I uh, have known Camille for quite a while. This, this is a dear lady. I, I really encourage you to get to know her. She has dedicated her entire life. This is a very gifted lady, and she has dedicated her life to bringing the gospel and God's word to the deaf people of the world in some very significant ways. Could you maybe just tell us about your role currently in DOOR International?
1: So, I wear several hats. Uh, One of them is I'm a Bible translation consultant with a specialty in sign languages, which means that using some of those interpretation principles, I can check a draft of a Bible translation and ultimately approve it as scripture. In that role, currently, I'm mostly serving as a trainer and evaluator of others who are learning to do that. I'm also focusing a lot of time on being Doors member care coordinator, which means I'm working at all levels of the organization in investing in the health, uh, longevity and well-being of all of our staff.
0: And that's that's so sort of critically important. Not only bringing the Bible, but caring for those, because it's rough for those who are doing that. And so if you don't know Camille, I'm going to encourage you. She's going to be in the South Poirier. Uh, would you stop? She's going to be at a table just to hear more, just to learn a little bit more, because God is mightily at work among the deaf people in the world. Camille is a big part of that. I encourage you to join Corinne and I just to be a part of her team, because... This is a frontline soldier, and what she does is highly unique. And so let's just close our time in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege it is to just gather with your people this morning to worship you from the heart, spirit and truth, with your word open in our hearts and our minds. And God, we pray that you would help us to become workmen, not ashamed. To know your word, to know you, to walk in your love in your strength, in your spirit, to reflect your likeness in this community, in our families, and only you can do it. And thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for how you're using your word in our lives and in the world, especially the deaf people around the world. This morning, we thank you specifically for Camille. She is a frontline soldier. She's involved in a unique work all the specialized training that has gone into allowing her to do what she does, would you strongly encourage her heart? Help her to continue to flourish your grace as just a a missionary from our church doing the amazing work of bringing your gospel and your word to the deaf people of this world, people that you have made. And so, God, we pray that all of us, we would be shaped and fashioned by your scriptures that the word of God would indeed shape our way of life. We ask this as we pray in Jesus' name.